0: Welcome to Slycast, the podcast where we celebrate and analyze the career of Sylvester Stallone. I'm Craig Cohen, and as always, I have with me Jeff Ferry.
1: You see? You see? He's not a machine. He's a man.
0: (laughs) And Jeff Hewlett.
2: If you die,
0: you die. (laughs) So guys, here we are. We've made our way to 1985's Rocky IV, the biggest entry in the series, and I know it's a movie that we've all been looking forward to talking about, so let's get right to it. So, Rocky IV comes out in November of 85, and basically in the time um, between Rocky Three and Four, we got Staying Alive, which Stallone directed, and, and Rhinestone, and we also had Rambo. And you know what? I assume based on the release date of November, that Rambo um, First Blood Part Two, came out earlier in the year. So this was the second punch from a one-two punch of Stallone in 1985. And it was, again, directed by Sylvester Stallone. But the biggest difference here, and possibly the most noticeable for a lot of people, is the music. Bill Conti was not able to provide the score for this movie because he was busy working with John uh, G. Adelson on the Karate Kid films. So Vince DiCola stepped in and he worked with themes that had been developed by Bill Conti on the earlier films. But we've got a very sort of non-orchestral approach to the music we're going to go a little off format here and let's talk about the score of this film and how it sort of
1: frames this movie uh jeff ferry this is where i'm going to show my uh my lack of music not knowledge but like music in a film while to me it can it can build it up unless it's terrible it really doesn't bother me to me, the music is fine. It's just not maybe as memorable as some of the other ones. Like, do, I still kind of wish Gonna Fly Now was in there. I think it's in there for like a couple chords. They just kinda, it's like a throwaway. Like, hey, it's kind of just part of the theme. Yeah, it's not featured. If it was up to me, Gonna Fly Now would be in every Rocky movie. I think most people would say that. I, of course, if it was up to me, I the Tiger would be in every Rocky movie. And they'd probably play him three or four times in each movie. But yeah. again, this is why I don't make these movies. There'd also be, like, there'd just be fights the whole time. There'd be no story. But, again, that's why Stallone won't return my phone calls. (laughs) But, no, I mean, I thought it was fine. I don't think you needed exactly what you had in the previous three films. I mean, it's a different type of movie by now. I think the score was fine. I mean, I'd be interested to see what you guys think, because you're more attuned to that type of thing than I am. You know, I just want to see the big Russian punch someone in the face.
0: Yeah, I I think the main thing for me is you have two different approaches to scoring a film where conti is really good at building and adding layers and ultimately taking us on a journey that culminates in the the climax of the film and i think for whatever reason vince Nicola's approach is slightly different and like I said, the most noticeable is probably you move away from uh, a straight orchestral score and you have some of those 80s elements leaking through. Jeff Hewlett, do you want to, uh, expand on that or touch on that?
2: Yeah. So the score, overall score of this movie, I think lends itself to. One of the goals of this movie overall, and I'll go into a little bit deeper into that when we kind of give our opening statements on the movie uh, and our thoughts on it as a whole, but it's particularly effective for uh, being foreboding and building up the villainous aspects of this film. There's a lot of places where you see Drago in this movie and you have that heavy synthesized creepy ominous music playing and it really serves the purpose it sets him up well as a villain it gives the audience a certain feel I mean it's, it's almost strange at times the the instrumentation that was chosen and the 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 overall feel is very very strange and it it serves one of the movie's purposes extremely extremely well
0: you know that's a, a really interesting take on it and something I never really thought about. So why don't we jump into our overall thoughts on it? And uh, since you're on a roll, Jeff, why don't you just uh, continue on?
2: (laughs) Okay, I want to (laughs) say ahead of time that uh, what I'm going to say is not an indication that I don't like this movie. I do. I enjoy this quite a bit. But there are two things in my mind that set Rocky IV apart from the rest of the series by a long shot. Uh, There are two things. Number one is this is the only movie in which Rocky fights for revenge. Rocky doesn't fight for revenge in any of the other movies. Uh, You don't get the sense that he's vengeful in any way. This this movie, he fights to avenge Apollo's death. And number two is the time period in which this movie was released. I guess if you live through that time or you read about that time, this movie can almost be looked at as a propaganda piece. It's a Cold War movie. It slams the Cold War down your throat every chance it gets. It's the U.S. versus Russia, which was it was the, the political times. Uh, I mean, even the opening sequence where you see the United States boxing glove and the Russia boxing glove flying at each other and exploding. I mean, this thing really pushes the Cold War down your throat. So it's a it's a big piece for the time. It's a it's almost a time capsule in a way. You know, watching this, you can really feel that the, the U.S. versus Russia and the whole entire movie is laid out that way. Uh, you know, you have the the American hero versus the Russian villain, and it it you know at the end of course Rocky, you know, ends the Cold War. But you know, as you watch this, especially in that light, you can really point out every moment in this movie that really illustrates you know, that overall purpose and intent.
0: Yeah, and that's a, a good point you made where they don't bury the lead with this movie at all. They they do show you right from the get-go uh, where they're going with things with those two big boxing gloves. I'm kind of of the opinion on this movie that it's even leaner than part three. So part three was about an hour and 40 minutes. We're now down to 90 minutes with some montages. And we basically get to the final fight around the hour mark. So you sacrifice a lot of things to do that. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But this is a film that, for me, I remember really, really, really enjoying and watching a lot when I was younger. And then sitting down to watch it for this discussion, I found myself looking at it a little bit differently and being a little disappointed in some of the choices that were made. And uh, we'll get into that. Jeff Ferry.
1: All right. <laughs> so I guess I'll be the only one that's in this particular corner. I really enjoy this movie. I, I really like this movie. I I put it over some of the ones that I think that you guys uh, really have an affinity for. But the best part is it's probably for all the same reasons. The reasons why I like it are probably the reasons why you have it a, a notch below. Well, like... I love. I mean, I I love when it starts out with the gloves hitting it together. I mean, put it on Front Street. What it's about. Yeah. And the whole. I I wondered when I went to rewatch it if the whole Russian thing, the Soviet Union, would be like really would really bother me, because we all say the same thing. Ah, well, that's the movie where you know Rocky fought the Russian and he won the Cold War. As us, we grew up and were aware of the Cold War. So when this movie comes out in '85. Cold War kind of winds down six years later, we're sitting there thinking like, oh, look, it's a product of its time. I'm going to invoke the thing of like, if you were young enough to not live through the Cold War and you look at this, you don't look at it like, oh, it's that's, that's something from a bygone era. You look at it like, oh, those were the really bad guys and we're the good guys because we're the Americans. The same way that I would watch a movie about the Nazis. I'd be like, those are the bad guys. Those are the good guys. I'm rooting for the good guys. It's the same thing I went back with Three, but they just took it to the next level where Clubber Lang was the bad guy with no other character development. You are the bad guy. Ivan Drago is not only is he the bad guy, he represents this entire state, this entire way of thinking. He's the not only the bad guy, he represents all the bad guys. So not only is Rocky going to have to fight this one bad person, he's going to fight this bad person backed by an entire bad organization. And as for the first point of Rocky fights for revenge, that doesn't bother me, because he can't... I don't need him to fight every movie for the exact same reason. He doesn't always have to be like, I'm gonna prove a point. I mean, I'll get into the specifics of the Apollo fight when we get there, because I have problems with it, too. But I made this point earlier. To me, Rocky 3 and Rocky 4, I could have given somebody the outline basically what i wanted to happen giving it to two separate writers and they would to come up with these two movies okay what i want to happen is uh, i need him to have somebody close to him die in the first act check okay and then he's going to have some sort of crisis of conscience check he's going to have a problem with adrian check you know his opponent needs to be unbeatable check i mean it's it's handled differently and, and like obviously it goes a lot different but the there's so many like parallels to it. I mean, as we go along, like if I, it's more common me, I will point them out, but like I don't think these two films are that much different. Where I will agree with Hewlett is four definitely steps up another notch. Like everything that was in, that was in three, they just took the next step in four. Which I kind of wish they would have done in five because five, I don't know, he would have been fighting in space or something by then. <laughs> I mean, I mean, where else do you go? He's just got to fight. He's got to fight Darth Vader at you know at Madison Square Garden. I don't know where else you go at that point. Yeah, I'm gonna say, and I think this just comes down to where you're looking at this movie from. From my point of view, from where I've seen it, I like it for reasons X, Y, and Z. From where you guys are looking, you don't like it because of reasons X, Y, and Z. But I don't think our reasons are that far apart.
2: Well, don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that I don't like it because of oh, those reasons. I'm just pointing those things out as the reasons why I think the movie is so vastly different than the rest yeah. of the series.
1: And I'm and when I say dislike or don't, I'm in using those terms relatively, like because I think we all agree one, two, three, four, six, all good movies, yep. and it's I'm all just, a matter of where you put them in your order. Yeah. Yep. Like Completely. where I may have two here, you have four here, six there. Yep. I mean, I would only be shocked if somebody was like, if, if five was on somebody's list somewhere. Yeah. That's a discussion we need to have. We <laughs> yeah. need to have that person on the podcast to somehow defend that.
0: There are people out there that have a strong affinity for Part Five. Well, I
1: want those people in here trying to defend. I want to. I want to know which movie you put it above.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Maybe when we get around to it, we will find uh, that person. But. Let's jump into the movie, and again, we have um, an opening that really, really screws with the timeline because it seems like Rocky is coming back from sparring or Apollo cashing in his favor. Rocky's been in a fight. He indicates he got in a fight with a friend. So are we still in 1982 here, and why is the kid completely different? i don't understand why stallone got hung up on doing these direct sequels and i know jeff hewlett you've talked about your love of the direct sequel so do you want to hit on this at all
2: well yeah i do there are some really strange choices made here now i you outed me again by by bringing up my admission of loving direct sequels and i really do love the fact that it's a direct sequel but the When you do a direct sequel, you have to have some uh, respect for continuity. And I think that this movie kind of throws continuity out the window, uh, in a sense. Because, you know, you, the, the kid is completely different. And you, you, Rocky himself looks a little different. Uh, you know, Adrian looks a little older. I mean, it's very, very, very different. And uh, it feels like they could have put a little more effort, at least into the beginning part, of that, but I mean, then again, you know, back in those those early to mid '80s days, I mean, probably most people hadn't recently watched Rocky Three when they went to see Rocky Four, so maybe it was more forgivable back then than it is today, where you have a Blu-ray set or a DVD set where you can watch all six movies in in a row if you wanted to.
1: Yeah, that is a good point, uh, Jeff Ferry. My only problem with the direct sequel, I mean, I can deal with a direct sequel if, and you know. People are recast and this and that happens and then the kid's totally different. We all understand, you know, you gotta have a little bit of you just forgive, you just pretend like you don't see it. My only question is, why is this necessary to be a direct sequel? Exactly. It's not necessary at all. There's nothing to push the plot along that needs to be Oh okay, he could be coming home from having dinner with Apollo. There's no need for him to be coming home from that fight. And the same reasoning of like, well, you probably don't, you know. Back then, you were only seeing it in the movies. Yeah, exactly. People don't remember how the movie ended three years ago. They probably don't even remember that they had that fight at the end. Like, if you don't remember that, then the beginning of this movie has no context.
0: Yeah, and and it almost seems like they edited themselves into a corner by sort of falling into this pattern of having the beginning of the movie start with the end of the previous movie.
1: And I think you still could have done that.
0: You could have done that
1: and just been, like, three years later. Time jump, yeah. Yeah, who cares? Like, would anyone have cared? It does. It means nothing to the story. It actually makes it better because then Apollo's three years older when this fight's going to happen. Yeah. The way that this is presented, you just saw him training. Like, yeah. he was in great shape. And then you're going to watch him go in and get, like, destroyed. You're, it doesn't make any sense. If, if it was three years later and I'm supposed to ex- – you know, at that point, you know, Apollo's probably into his 40s by then. Yeah. I can buy it a little bit more, but, like, he's jumping all over the place of time. You know, he could you can cut the first, like, 30 seconds when he says where he got – just have him walk into the house. It's the same movie.
0: Yeah. And that's really my biggest problem from a character standpoint is Rocky Three does an amazing job of really defining who Apollo is. And I feel that part four – Shoehorns Apollo into the character that they needed him to be to get in the ring so Drago could kill him.
2: That's a great insight. <laughs> so
0: Rocky and, and Apollo are hanging out and we see what, like, uh, sports news footage on, on Drago. Is that right,
2: uh, Hewlett? Well Apollo is in the pool throwing tennis balls to his right. dogs. okay and he's got a TV perched on the edge of the pool and <laughs> he sees uh, he, he's drawn to watch it because they start to report on this uh, Russian fighter and I guess uh, I guess he decides that uh, this could be his opportunity, you know to, to actually get back in the ring himself. So I guess vi- vicariously winning the title through training Rocky wasn't enough uh, to, to really get him where he wants to be. And there's something that sticks in his craw about, uh, you know, this foreign fighter, you know, entering professional boxing and having this incredible reputation without actually having fought anybody significant in his mind.
0: Yeah, uh, Jeff Ferry.
1: Actually,
2: the same point that uh, Hewlett just made, I'm going to expound on a
1: little bit. Um, although it's not delved into like deeply because, you know, like, like you said, it's only an hour and a half, and it's not Apollo's movie. He's going to be gone by Act One, but. I think Rocky 3, although he's built up and you see all this great stuff, and Rocky wins, that's not enough for him. Like, he, that didn't, that, like, where Rocky was whole after Rocky 3, like, that brought Rocky back. He was good to go. Apollo's still not. Apollo's still got the hole in him of, like, well, I'm still not the champ. So, if he, any way he could find to get in there and do something, he was going to do it, which is why I think. When he does go in for it, that's why we have all the theatrics. Yeah. Because Apollo has always been about look at me, look at me, look at me. The problem is now his he's done. Like he's he's has been at this point, but he still wants the limelight, even though he's his time is not only gone, it's way gone. Mm -hmm. It's two movies ago gone, and he just it's got to be about him. It's got to be about me. I mean, not that I'm condoning his fate that's gonna happen, but like I guess I forgive it more. I mean. I know a lot of people like you guys and a lot of people have a problem because spoiler alert, he dies. <laughs> yeah. I don't like as much as I love Apollo and I wish he was still in it. Like, I understand why if something had to happen. I mean, the movie won't work if Apollo is in it because then uh, he's got Apollo with him. He's got somebody to help him. It's the same reason why Mickey had to go. Yeah. You can't have that guy with him. He can't have that person with him if it's going to be a rocky story. Mm -hmm. That's why when the sixth movie comes around, I won't spoil it for you. But you know he has even less people with him. Yeah, he's stuck with Pauly.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the Ivan Drago character played by Dolph Lundgren. Who this is really his first movie. He appeared in the James Bond movie of You to a Kill, which is the last Roger Moore movie, but. It's a brief scene and he doesn't really get much dialogue. He points a gun at the Christopher Walken character, and that's about all he does. But Dolph Lundgren is really just an amazing physical specimen. He's Swedish and in Rocky Four, he's billed as being six foot five, two hundred and sixty one pounds. And I remember when I saw Rocky Four, I couldn't remember ever seeing anybody that looked quite like Ivan Drago did. Jeff Hewlett, do you want to talk a little bit about Ivan Drago and Dolph Lundgren?
2: Yeah, man. I will start off by saying that this was what I consider probably a perfect casting choice. This is a, like you were saying earlier. This is there. You know, you, you try to think of people who uh, are, are who, you, who you could think of for playing a role uh, who who may have been as good or better than the person that they picked. And I probably can't think of anybody who would have fit the role better. I mean, he's got that chiseled look, that foreign chiseled look. You know, he had to look like he was not American one thing he had to look ominous and imposing which he did because he was absolutely ginormous and the guys compared to stallone he was a tower you know and he's built he he looks like he could destroy anybody so you know he's also significantly younger looking you know so you could buy the fact that he's a young guy uh you know stallone is is way aged in comparison and you know, so it was Apollo for that matter. So you've got this guy who, you know, fits the villain role very well. And the fact that he barely speaks at all through the entire film. And when he does, it's in very brief and, and almost scary ways. I mean, when I when I was a kid and I saw this movie, like I was kind of afraid of that guy. Yeah. You know, when he talked, I was like, oh, my God, is he some kind of robot or something? I mean, he's just completely emotionless all the way up until the very, very end. And it's like nothing phases him whatsoever. I mean, people get in his face, they scream and yell, and he maintains that stone face. And, you know, he just played the part absolutely perfectly. And it, it worked so well for for what the intent was behind that villain.
1: Yeah. Jeff Ferry. I agree with it. It's excellent casting for two reasons. One, because you totally buy him as, even though he's Swedish, I mean, you could, he definitely could be the Russian Superman type looking guy where it's also great casting is while I've said the bad guys in three and four, they're both just super bad guys in three. He's bad because he's in your face. He's screaming and yelling. I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to do this and that I'm going to do, I'm going to knock you down. And then you go to the Russian in this one who's scary for the opposite reason. Cause he doesn't say anything. And when he does say something, that's what he says it with his, you know, he's only got a few words. And it scares you to death. So like it was, it was nice how they. If, if it would have been another guy, it, even if he would have been Russian and all the stuff had been the same, if he'd have been more outgoing and hey, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you, Rocky, blah blah. blah it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have made his. Yeah, you know, he wouldn't have been as scary. Mm-hmm. He was scary because he didn't talk. His little handlers did most of his talking. And like you said, he only. What, what would you say? Seventy-five percent of his lines are in the last two minutes.
0: Yeah, so pretty much. Well. After he he says um, what he tells Apollo, you will lose. You will lose. If he dies, he dies. Yeah,
1: and then you, I don't think he talks again until the fight at the end. And that's in Russian. Or mm-hmm. well, he says, "I must break you." Yeah. Yep. And then most of his, then he's talking in Russian, and it's all the his corner guys. But that's most of his lines right there. Yeah. So
0: let's talk a little bit about his mouthpieces in this movie, Brigitte Nielsen a Danish actress, plays his wife, uh, Lumilla. And I got to say that it's real easy to look at Brigitte Nielsen and where her career ended up. But if you watch this performance in a vacuum, it's a really good performance. I think her accent is serviceable. Um, I don't speak Russian, but I think her accent is convincing enough for me and my ear and I think her character is really well-written as well. Um, Jeff Ferry, um, what are your feelings on the Ludmilla character and Brigitte Nielsen in, in general?
1: Well, again, like you, you, like you said, you have to uh, separate where she goes and just look at her in 1985. She's perfect for this role because, again, she's got the blonde hair, the white skin. She herself looks like – because she's like six feet tall. Yeah. Like, she's yeah. put together too. She looks like another person you wouldn't want to fool around with. So you have her, and then you have, like, the Russian, like, the other mouthpiece that's there. And, like, they play off each other real well. She's she's following the party line, but she's more about Drago. Like, she's all about his image, while the other guy's more about the Soviet image as a whole. That's what he's trying to protect. Yeah, so, like, I would say if you're looking for the the total Brigitte Nielsen package, basically watch this. And what, maybe, like, Beverly Hills Cop 2? Cobra. (laughs) Yeah, Cobra. I mean, there's about four movies. After
0: after
1: the 90s hit, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, you, you know what's interesting
0: about the Lumilla character is it almost seems like she is the other side of the coin than Adrian. So Adrian's a very sort of hands-off, you know, wife when it comes to her husband's career. But Lumilla is more like really concerned about protecting her husband. And that involves really being involved in his career, um, Jeff Hewlett.
2: I'm not going to elaborate too much on what the two of you said, but to elaborate on a point that I made earlier about the you know the Cold War nature of this movie, I think that Brigitte's character is the only person in this entire movie that gets to try to plead the Russian case, if you will, during the press conference uh, for the, the Drago and Balboa fight, you know, she gets into that speech with the, uh, you know, you have this belief that, you know, we are so bad and you're so very good and we are so very bad. And she goes through a few different iterations of that, but she's the only person in the entire movie that tries to, you know, defend, uh, the, the Russians against, you know, the, the, the ire that they're getting, you know, from, from the Americans when, when they're in the country. And, I think that scene alone really showcases uh, you know her her acting chops uh, in this role. And it's, it's a shame that she did go where she went, but um you know I think it legitimizes her at least for this movie, just that one particular scene.
0: Yeah, and I thought not to jump ahead too far, but I thought that scene was really interesting in that it, it's a it's, it's a scene I think a lot of writers and directors might not have done, but Mm -hmm. you got to give Stallone credit for adding those little touches in where it does add a little depth to their, to their characters where it would have really been easy to make them black and white. Mm -hmm. So this movie really doesn't waste time getting to where it needs to get. And almost in the blink of an eye where in the ring where through drago's eyes almost we see apollo's entrance which i'm not even sure i can do justice but it involves um the fight is at the mgm grand hotel in las vegas and it is a very las vegas entrance it involves dancers and it involves james brown singing um living in america um jeff ferry do you want to sort of paint this picture?
1: Again, I don't know. Sure of seeing it. I mean, I've seen lots of entrances over the years. I've seen wrestlers' entrances which are insanely choreographed, and nothing holds a candle to this entrance. There is an entire stage show that comes in with him. He's gotta have what, a hundred people come in with him? Yeah. He's got everybody coming in like you know, boxers usually come in. They got their little. He's got a hundred. There, uh, an entire production gets put on. James Brown out there singing a song, doing his whole thing. He's coming out dressed like Uncle Sam. I mean, it's insane. I like <laughs> if you're at that fight, you got to be like, this fight's staged, right? Like, <laughs> this is this isn't a real fight that's gonna happen up here. But like again, it just shows like, and it, I think it's very telling that at no point do you ever see like, or even any mention that like Apollo trained for any of this. Yeah. You're under the impression that Apollo thinks he's going to walk in there with his years of experience and be like, I'm going to, and he says something along these lines, like I'm going to teach this young kid how to box. Yeah. Like realizing you can't do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Apollo's also going in really thinking that this is an exhibition, which might not be the best approach uh, against a guy like Drago. Um, Jeff Hewlett.
2: Well, we, we skipped over a couple of, Interesting moments in the movie uh, that that I just want to make mention of before we get into the the, the fight itself. Sure thing. You know there was, well we, we skipped over the robot, but we can oh skip over my the God. robot.
0: Polly's birthday present,
2: <laughs> which is okay. We can skip over the robot. That's cool. But um, there's a whole sequence in which Apollo is trying to justify his decision to fight Drago to Rocky and Adrian. Yeah. And I think it's a fantastic scene and there are some really great lines by Apollo in there. And one of the lines, well, he, you know, he's justifying himself to Rocky and, the, you know, they're talking about how they're fighters and, you know, that's their nature. And is of the mind that you can't change what you really are, even if you attempt to, but then he, he says a really, well, the line fits the movie well, but it is a very strange reference. And he, he says, without a war to fight, we're nothing, mm-hmm. which kind of fits into the, you know, the overall feel of the, of the movie itself. But it was kind of a strange thing for him to say. And mm-hmm. it, it feels to me like uh, almost like a forced way to get him into a ring that, you know, he feels like he has to have some kind of a battle to fight or a villain to take down when it was really seemed to be more about, you know, him wanting to go out on a high note. You know, instead of it just being like, a, you know, I have to defend us sort of moment. It's more of a, you know, like, you know, you, Rocky, you got your your big moment in the sun. You're back on top. Now I need to, you know, put a period on the end of my sentence and go out with a big win and look like a hero as well. So that was a really great exchange. And I think it was it also did serve to change the Apollo character a bit, like you were saying before, Craig, that you know, they backpedal a little bit on what they did for Apollo and Rocky three. For building up the character, they kind of change him and alter him a bit here as well. But so back to the, the you know the living in America sequence, I thought was I'm not going to build too much on what you guys already said, but I thought that it was a speaking of the music and the score, you have a very interesting change uh, between you, know, you have the living in America sequence and then you get this very minimalistic piece of this electronic score where. You know, you're seeing Drago and you're hearing this very strange synthesizer, you know, bass beat going on where it's, it's this evil feeling music and you're getting the feeling that wait a minute, something's not right here. Something big is about to happen. You know, you're, you're, you're giving they're giving the audience this feeling like there's something that we don't know about this guy. And I think that plays out in the fight. And I don't want to, to jump ahead too much because I know we're going to discuss the actual fight here. So uh, I'll just kind of stop it here. But, uh, you know, it, referencing the fact that Apollo didn't seem to train much for this. And I, I, I do agree with that sentiment because he doesn't watch seem to watch any footage of Drago fighting. He has no idea what he's getting into the ring against. And, you know, he's just kind of coming in with that, that cocky, you know, overconfident and underprepared uh, way about him
0: yeah and the fight never really goes uh apollo's way the no. the first round by anybody's standards would probably be the only round of the fight
1: oh, that'd be the last round <laughs> yeah mm-hmm.
0: so apollo looks like he's gone 15 rounds by the end of the first round and he's in the corner and rocky and duke are both begging him to stop the fight Apollo is adamant that they won't stop the fight, and he makes it uh really clear to Rocky that under no circumstances is Rocky to stop the fight. That leads to the second round where Apollo just gets destroyed, and there's a, a moment in here that I think gets glossed over a lot where the ref goes to intervene, and Drago pushes him out of the way. At that point, Duke starts to yell at Rocky to throw in the towel. And Rocky, you know, agreeing to do what his friend asked of him doesn't throw in the towel. And he eventually just drops it when Apollo gets decimated. But if Rocky threw in the towel, who was going to stop Drago? He had already indicated uh, that he didn't care about the ref. Do you think the bell ringing really would have, you know, called off Drago? No, <laughs> yeah,
2: not at all. This this leads perfectly into another question that I was going to pose to you guys. If you take into that into account what you just said about him pushing the ref out of the way, and you also look at the first round where Drago did not throw a single punch until he was commanded to start fighting mm-hmm. by his uh, his corner people, do you think that? There was a plan behind the scenes to to either kill or cripple Apollo. Like Drago was told that this is what you do. You get into the ring, we tell you when to throw the first punch and you do not stop until you either cripple or kill this guy to make a point. yeah, because this was his first fight against a quote unquote champion, right They said they said as much in the press conference that you know the Russians respect Apollo. he was a champion, and you know Drago is is um, you know honored to fight a champion. And, you know, I think that the Russians wanted to make a point. Do you guys think that that was – that's true?
0: I think you're, you're on to something there, uh, Jeff Ferry.
1: I mean, I
2: don't know if specifically
1: they were like, you need to go out there and, you know, not kill him. But, like, I think the point was to thoroughly destroy him. Even if he didn't get beat up as bad as he did, say he drops him in the second round with a punch. Boom. He doesn't die, but he's knocked out. You still made your point. It's not like you can't make the man stay on his feet and take that pounding. Like, he could have taken 10 punches and gone down and been done. I mean, I've seen Tyson fights like that. Boom, you're out. And, like, that's it. Like, they couldn't – like, I hate to say it, it's not the it, – in the afterwards, for what he says, it makes it sound like they tried to kill him or tried to hurt him so bad. But, like, they don't make the guy stay on his feet, like, what? to keep taking punishment. At any point, Apollo can hit the ground, and it's over.
2: Well He's the I think one pushes up. I think pushing the ref out of the way is what really drives the point home. Like, the ref was going to stop the fight. Apollo was probably about to fall down anyway. But Drago's like, you know what? Get the hell out of my way. I'm freaking pulverizing this guy.
1: I also think he had a beef with Apollo by then. Like, I probably think he, he was mad at Apollo by then.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, Apollo was humiliating him. So Yeah,
1: so it was it was a little bit personal of like, all right, you know, you're going to go out there and make this spectacle. I'm going to put you down.
2: Yeah.
0: So Apollo gets knocked out and does the very pro wrestling like, um, convulsions to indicate, <laughs> um, that he is experiencing severe trauma and instantly sells the fact that there is something seriously wrong there. And Apollo pretty much dies in Rocky's arms. That's where we get the, if he dies, he dies line from Drago. And it's a really interesting scene in the sense that as big as Drago is, he's even bigger here because Rocky is looking up at him from a position on the ground, losing who we have to consider his best friend. Jeff Hewlett, do you want to expand on that?
2: Well... I'll go on record, and I, I know this will be a, a point of disagreement, but I'll go on record and say that I don't necessarily think that it was uh, completely and totally necessary to kill Apollo. I mean, putting him in a wheelchair or something like that would have been more than enough. But I mean, I guess for dramatic effect, it works. Coma? Yeah, yeah, something like that. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was necessary to to kill him, but I mean, you know. It was effective as a plot device and and as a character, uh, you know, defining moment for Rocky. It works, but you know this is the second, you know, uh, friend slash father figure slash mentor that's essentially died in Rocky's arms, right? So I mean, we saw this happen already, albeit a little differently in Rocky Three. So it, it feels kind of like it was a repeated, uh, you know, a plot trope to me and. The one thing that really sticks out in my mind about Apollo dying in this is that once Drago, a foreign boxer from Russia, kills an American boxer, wouldn't there be some sort of a sanction against him? Uh, I mean, wouldn't he be detained by the U.S. for some? I mean, it just seems weird to me that he kills Apollo in the ring and they just let him go back to Russia like like nothing happened.
1: Well. When you, when you, when they fight in the ring, there's some sort of legal thing where, like, where, like, if maybe you just fought in a back alley and I killed you, I could go up for, like, manslaughter for doing that. Where boxers enter into some sort of contract where they won't, there's no legal repercussions for hurting somebody because that's what you're there to do. Yeah. And when he, when he fights them at the end, it's an unsanctioned fight. They do say, say it's unsanctioned, so. That's all on Rocky to go fight this guy. I mean, it could have been no hold bar all he knew. I mean, it was an unsanctioned battle.
2: Yeah, no, I I understand that, the legality of it. But, you know, it it seems to me like, you know, it was a, especially during those times where, you know, Russians were the enemies of the U.S., that there would have been something done or they would have revoked their passports and detained them or something. I don't know. It just seemed to me like he kind of gets off scot-free you know, he kills a guy and gets off scot-free and in an exhibition match, no less. And I don't know, I understand the legality behind it, but, you know, it seems like it's glossed over in a way.
0: Yeah, and that almost would have maybe helped Rocky's vengeance um, even more if we had a, a real quick sequence of a, uh, you know, a legal loophole letting him off the hook and getting going back to Russia. But uh, Jeff Ferry, um, we didn't really get your thoughts on the... Death of Apollo.
1: I was fine with it. No. I, <laughs> the, my only concern with it is because and I'm going to put this all on Stallone for good and bad. He's not one to go halfway on something. Whereas I feel like a lot of directors would have gone with the he's in a coma, he's hurt real bad or he's you know he's paralyzed. They've gone halfway. Stallone's not about that. Boom, you're dead, you're out. Which yeah. along the the line of Rocky movies, you will see that again and again and again. I mean, people, it's like game of Thrones. You never know who's going to be there in the next movie. Like you got one movie deal. You never know if you're going to be around the next time that Rocky starts up. So, I mean, it doesn't bother me. Would I have tweaked how it happened? I think it could have been a little better because it gets as much as I like it. Cause this is almost like it's like a fantasy boxing movie at this point. Like, It's only tentatively in reality at this point. What I would have preferred is, especially since I like Apollo so much, if he'd have gone out in a slightly more dignified way, I think you still could have gone out there, he could have gone out in the first round and just gotten, you know, beaten heavily. Maybe not quite as heavily as we see. I mean, he looks dead when he gets over there for the first round to be over. Like, there's no way in a million years he goes back out for a second round. No ref would let him get up out of that corner. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't don't care care about, like, oh, don't throw in the towel. No, that fight's over. Yeah. So you have him defeat, you have him get knocked down a couple times, you have him go out there for the second round, and then you have the Russian land, like, one devastating punch. Instead of, like, throwing the ref out of the way and making it look like, this Russian's just insane, and he hits him, like, 20 times when he's not defending himself. Yeah. You just have it be one epic punch, boom, maybe it's, like, basically you broke his neck, he's down, he's dead. Cause that's how people normally die in the ring. It's either one big punch or they die like the next day from like brain trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And that would have been slightly more dignified than like, it makes him look almost silly cause he gets beat so bad. It makes him look bad to go back out there and it makes Rocky and Duke look bad. I don't care if he's your best friend. You got to call a fight. Yeah. Like, no, you're done. Oh, you'd be mad at me later. <laughs> yeah, it almost seems like the way
0: it is now. Apollo's on this weird suicide trip. Yep. Well, Craig,
1: well I think he got—he's embarrassed after the first round. Yeah. Which makes more sense if he just gets beat up, and not like looking like he does at the end of Rocky one.
2: Yeah. Well, now think now on this same uh, conversational track. Think, would it have led to some awesome? character moments and conflict if Rocky had thrown the towel and the fight did get stopped even after Apollo told him not to and uh, you know the, the fight's over and, and Apollo goes away in disgrace I mean what what kind of awesome conflict could we have generated between Rocky and Apollo
0: yeah and we probably could have gotten uh, a completely different Rocky five
2: yeah but yep. then
1: that's the whole thing then that's not that's not this movie though that that would be that's not what they're going for you know he's trying to Stallone's doing a 90-minute movie with the Russian guy. It's the same reason why in Rocky 3 Paulie gets no time with his subplot because we got no time for you. You know, we're doing this movie. Like he, he gets like that. Like he, he laser focuses. This is what this movie's about. And everyone gets their moment, but that's it. Like he's got no time. Like that's why the movie's 90 minutes. You make this movie. I, I mean, I hate saying you make this movie. Say you make a movie like this today, and your director is not Sylvester Stallone. This movie's two hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, and you got probably at least two other subplots we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And you probably, and he probably doesn't die because you know you'll have to have maybe he throws in the towel or maybe he's just hurt. But like I like that it's ninety minutes. If you're gonna give me a movie that is not trying to be super real and it's just trying to be super crazy action, then that's what I want. So that's why I can get over the Apollo thing.
2: Yeah. I would have liked to see a Rocky 5 where Apollo lived and Rocky and Apollo fought again. That's all I'm saying. Because they were <laughs> mad at each other. So, Cuz Rocky called the fight.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be uh that would have definitely been an interesting alternate uh way to uh approach part 5. So in pretty quick succession, Rocky agrees to fight Drago and we have a press conference where Rocky says whatever the Russians want, he'll agree to. So he announces that the fight will be on Christmas day in an unsanctioned 15 round b- bout and it's taking place in Russia or uh, for movie purposes, Wyoming doubling as Russia. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have a sequence where Rocky and Adrian have a, a fight separated uh, by a staircase and Rocky gets the rare win, <laughs> where <laughs> it culminates with Adrian saying you can't win. Jeff Ferry, what's your take on this?
1: I did enjoy this because, I mean, as much as we all know Adrian and you know Adrian, I mean, she's definitely, a uh, after the first movie or two, she's definitely a very side character. And she gets her moment in each movie, like her big moment in three where she, You know, takes him to task about it. But, like, I like that she's not always – not that she's not supporting him, but, like, she's being honest with him. She's like, you can't win. I just watched your best friend, who's also a boxer, die. Exactly. I don't want you to fight. And I like, you know, like most husbands, he just doesn't listen. He doesn't, doesn't anyway. But, I mean, it would have made – I wouldn't have liked it if she was just like, yeah, I got your back. You know, go get him. Like, she comes around on it, but she – I like that their their conflict made sense to me. Like, I understand. I, I liked it. If she just had his back, uh, that wouldn't have made any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree completely, and like you said, she just watched uh, a, good, uh, a good friend of hers, you know, in addition to Rocky's, die. And she sees what Apollo's widow's going through, and – really could see herself in that place and that's a place nobody wants to be uh Jeff Hewlett
2: yeah well essentially Adrian is filling Mickey's shoes in this one and you know whereas in Rocky 3 Mickey was the one to tell Rocky he couldn't win and now in Rocky 4 Adrian's the one to tell Rocky he can't win Rocky does have some good retorts and kind of uses the same logic Apollo did when he was trying to convince Rocky that he should fight Drago, you know Rocky's got the well I'm a fighter, it's what I do. You know, he doesn't actually ever come out and say, you know, I'm fighting this because I want to avenge Apollo's death. He's kind of covering it up by saying, well I'm a fighter, this is what I need to do and you know, I need to I need to go somewhere where I can just focus on Drago. So that's why I have to go all the way to Russia to train for this. I can't train here and then fly over. So, I mean, yeah, he wins, I guess, quote unquote, wins the fight. But it also leads into one of the more 80s montages mm-hmm. of this film, you know, with the uh, the No Easy Way Out song, which uh, I happen to have on my iPod. It's another great oh. montage. Oh, fantastic montage. And this is where you've got that. Drago with the black mouthpiece, the, the nightmare shots of Drago, you know, looking like a like a Neanderthal, you know, in Rocky's mind and and then a lot of the other flashbacks from the other movies. So um you get a lot of uh good memories through that.
0: Yeah, and then don't you also get the intercutting with Apollo falling and Rocky falling? Yep. Which is I mean, if if you just really sit down and break down that montage piece by piece, it's great. And, and like we said in the, the Rocky three discussion, I really think that film is effective for a lot of different reasons, but the montage as utilized by Stallone is really the only way you can show what is going on in a character's head. And you can sell minutes of screen time that could potentially be eaten up trying to work this into dialogue scenes where instead you can set it to a three and a half minute pop song and get all of that work done. I, I, I really, really think um Stallone really perfected or I dare say pioneered the uh the montage. Um Jeff Ferry, since we're on it, um
1: feelings on that that montage. Well, like you said, this movie comes in at a crisp 90 minutes. The movie before it, I think, is only 10 or 15 minutes longer. Yep. You got a three-minute montage. It gives you all the pertinent information you need. It's not essential that you see exactly – you just need to know what headspace he's in, Mm -hmm. which is all that it does. It lets you know where he is, what he's thinking about. Could you have done that with scenes? Yeah. You could have had another scene with Adrian, maybe a scene with Pauly, maybe a scene with Apollo's widow – And you could have burned 20 minutes of screen time, and I could have sat there in the theater going, I wish they would just get where they're going. Like, I don't care about any of this. Instead, boom, and you're on. Mm -hmm. This is where a lot of people lose it. You're watching an action movie, basically. I mean, that's basically what this is. It's an action movie with some drama in it. You don't need 20 more minutes of character development at this point. This is the fourth movie in the series. (laughs) We know who these people are. Yeah. That's like the same thing with a, when you're watching a Star Trek movie or something that has a lot of things behind it. You don't need to expect. You know who the people are already. You just need little touches to keep going. I don't need his entire backstory. Boom, three minutes. I'm caught up. This is where he is. We're moving on. Yeah. I mean, if there was ever a class on montages, day one is Sylvester Stallone.
0: Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I don't think anybody has really matched what he's been able to do. Um, some of the parodies get close, um, but those are parodies and they're not really focused on creating. They're more replicating. So at this point we end up in Russia and it is Rocky, Duke, um, Apollo's trainer and, and Pauly. And that's it. And they land in Russia and there's a, a military presence of some kind. And, and, they're escorted to a car and they're driven out into a very remote location that Rocky has requested. And there's a barn that's got equipment that he requested. And Pauly's instantly disappointed by this. And this is really about all the, the work that Paulie gets to do. Although at the end of the movie, he gets a pretty good moment, but here he really, um, is there to sell the, the fact that. They are really uh, in the middle of nowhere. They've got hot water and electricity, and that's about it. There's no cable TV. There's no um, luxuries. And Rocky is just here to train. Jeff Ferry, the
1: Russian training sequence. I really enjoy it. It's, of the, all the training sequences, it's the most unique Because a lot of the other ones are similar, like one, two, six are very similar type things. Even three, it's just in a different location, but it's kind of the same type of deal. I mean, it's the same layout. It's just in a totally different location. I actually enjoy Paulie in this movie. It's a shame that they they chop him down in five, because in this, it seems like he's way more on Rocky side now. Yeah. Like, he's still a whiny pain in the butt, but that's all he is. Like, he's there. He supports him the whole time. He's never really cutting him down except for saying he picked a lousy spot to be because yeah. he has no cable TV. But, like, I like I like the location. I like the whole thing when they land in Russia. They're trying to put out that – it's just such an alien environment. Like, they're really trying to jam that home that you have no friends here. Totally. That you're being followed all the time. Uh-huh. You know, assuming – we're assuming the KGB is the one probably following them. Like – they're trying, you're in a bad position. You have no friends here. And Rocky's not bothered by any of that. I'm just here to train. I'm laser focused, which has been his problem in the previous movies. Is that yeah. He had no focus. That's not a problem now. Boom, he's focused.
0: Yeah, there, there is no confidence issue or focus issue here. And one thing I really like about the setup here is you've got the mirror that Rocky sort of covers with pictures. He's got a picture of Drago. He's got some other pictures there that slowly come down during his training. And I think it's a really neat little touch that Stallone added to that film. Um, Jeff Hewlett.
2: Well, we learn a few really significant things when Rocky first gets to, Rocky and his camp first get to Russia. One is that Russian dudes are really, really hardcore, they're so hardcore that they stand outside in the snow and just let it accumulate on their faces and don't even wipe it off. Like the snow is just in their beards. They don't care. They're just not going to wipe it off. Second is that Russians apparently watch movies because they assign KGB agents to watch it because they saw what, what Rambo did to the Russians in, in Rambo 2. So they know what he's really there for. And we also learn that Paulie carries chipmunks tapes with him to Russia. Oh, right. So he's listening to the Chipmunks Christmas tape on his Walkman while he's laying in the barn. So uh, so, some really great takeaways from that early scene. But for the the training montage, this is interesting because it's the script is once again flipped from Rocky 3 to Rocky 4. So in Rocky 3, Rocky has this glitzy, glossy, you know, uh, know, high touch, uh, you know, expensive training area. And Clubber has just this old basement dingy gym. Now you've got Drago, who is in this super high-tech facility that's probably cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, and Rocky's in a barn. You know, he's pulling a sled through the snow. He's running up mountainsides. I and mean, he's throwing rocks around. So you've got, you know, the, the, the script being flipped the other way. And not only that, but you finally get... Now, it was alluded to earlier... Uh, that 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 Drago was on performance-enhancing drugs, but now you finally see the needle getting put in his arm. Yeah, so we really have the, late in the game. Yeah, the visual confirmation that he is getting juiced up. And, uh, you know, we also see that, uh, that now he punches, uh, I think, what, 300 pounds harder. So he goes from his previous 1,850 pounds per square inch to 2,150 pounds.
0: Yeah, which is basically three times that of a normal heavyweight boxer.
2: Right. So you know now Rocky is going to be pretty much pulverized uh, by this guy. So uh, I think the, the the training montage has some really awesome uh, music in it. The the synth that they use that 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 synth score is really effective, and I love that montage music. I have that on my iPod. It's great to listen to. And you also get that burning heart. Song which has some extremely Cold War uh, reminiscent lyrics to it. So you know, take a listen to that next time you will, you listen to, you watch the movie and uh, just just listen to those lyrics and it really illustrates the movie very well.
0: Yeah. And one other cool thing that is I I'm, I I can't recall if you if you hit that in your in your your rundown there, but you've got like the Rocky and, and Drago. Are basically doing the same exercises but with different yep. equipment.
2: Yeah, so you've got yeah you've got um, where uh, you know Rocky's throwing uh, lifting bags of rocks and Dragos lifting weights. Uh, Rocky pulling the wagon through the snow. Dragos using this high tech you know uh, you know leg machine where he's got his you know shoulders against the pads and he's he's you know working his legs and you know. But one thing about the training that that was a little bit odd is that Rocky does no sparring. Yeah at all uh, during the whole montage. So he's not, you know, he's not doing certain things that he normally does during his trainings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is different than the, the normal training sequences in that manner. And with that, we get Adrian shows up, which gives, I guess, Rocky that extra little boost. And I guess she's able to see Rocky's beard before he shaves it off. <laughs> and, that really leads up to the end fight unless I miss something. No, that's pretty much right. Yeah. So now we're at the end fight and much like Apollo on his home turf had a theatric entrance. Drago sort of gets the Russian equivalent of the big Vegas entrance, um, where there's a big Ivan Drago banner and there's dramatic lighting and it's sort of, um, you know the Russians saying, "Hey, we can we can do a big production too." <laughs> yeah. Jeff Ferry, do you want to give your general feelings on the the moments that lead up to the the fight?
1: Well, I sure hope they take that banner down because it closed it blocked off like a whole section of seats. <laughs> that's all I think about when they raise the banner. I'm like, that's where I'd be sitting. Like, oh, well, I guess I'm not watching the fight.
0: No, that's funny.
1: But like, yeah, they after the montage, like, there's not. A lot of lead up to the fight after that. It's like, alright, montage is over, I'm top of a mountain, I'm screaming Drago, and we're at the fight. That's it. Like they're there. Yeah. And he's getting ready to go back. And yeah, they, they make a big production how like, yeah, this is the Russians home thing. Well, like, what did you expect? Like <laughs> you're you're in Russia and everybody's acting like they're shocked at the home crowd once their are gotta win. Yeah. Like, wow, it'd be so surprising if that fight was in the United States and everybody was on Rocky side. <laughs> So like they keep trying to pound that home, and I guess it's just because you know there's gonna be a turn later that they want you to like hey recognize the fact that they're they want their guy to win, but yeah and he, he gets his big entrance or whatever and I mean it's not much I mean it's just like montage we're backstage we're backstage we're in the locker room and we're heading out yeah and and they're ready to go Jeff Hewlett
2: yeah it it struck me as the the Russians answer to the living in America. Uh, you know, display. So they they kind of had to put on a a display of their own, where this you know they have the national pride, where you know living in America was the American national pride, and then you got the Russian national pride, where you have the Russian national anthem and a huge painting of their you know their current hero that's gonna you know destroy Rocky. But prior to that happening, there was a, a pretty cool Pauly moment. Yes when they're walking in and Paulie's kind of got a tear in his eye. And he says, you know, if I could unzip myself and step out and be somebody else, I'd want to be you. So you finally have Paulie admitting, you know, how he feels about Rocky in an emotional way. But then again, he get any back pedals on that later. Yeah. Uh, once when he he's actually, actually in the Drago. ring
0: looking at Drago.
2: Yeah. Then he says, oh, yeah, I remember what I said, forget about it. But I thought that was a really great character moment for Paul. He doesn't get a lot of them. In this movie, but it's really good that he got a nice little, uh, you know, emotional piece there.
0: Mm -hmm. And then we cut to um, Rocky's kid uh, at home with two of his friends watching the fight. And he says, that's my dad. And the Mm -hmm. other kid turns to me, goes, we know. What do you think we are, nerds? That really got me, man. I wrote that down, too. (laughs) And (laughs) I was trying to do the math here. I looked it up. Moscow is seven hours... Ahead of us on the East Coast here. So assuming Rocky lived on the West Coast, um, Moscow would be, what, 10 hours ahead of us?
2: Well, you know, that's that's the thing because in Rocky Three, Apollo flies him to California to train there. So I assume that Rocky still lived back, uh, you know, on the East Coast. On the East Coast. In the Philadelphia area somewhere.
0: All right, so it's at least seven hours in advance so when do you think this fight is happening i I know at the end rocky says that his kid should be in bed at this point so we assume that the fight's taking place at night in russian time so is this kid hanging out with two of his friends at like two in the morning it's christmas man (laughs) yeah so there's two friends over their house The parents of those kids are like, no, don't spend Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas with us. Hang out with the Rockies kid and the robot. Maybe they
2: paid him to be there.
0: <laughs> so um that really leads us to the fight here. And is this a fight where Rocky really doesn't have as much of a defined strategy? uh,
1: Jeff Ferry? I think his strategy is not to die. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the only one where, like, they don't have, like, a, uh, I'll say a contrived strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, the first movie, he has no strategy, except he just wants to go to distance. Second movie, it's he's fighting right-handed. And then the third movie is he starts out with the, I'm going to, you know, he trains to be faster, and then he just says, I'll let him punch himself out. Yeah, I don't remember at any point them saying there's any strategy, and not that it's strategy, but they... The only turning point, really, is when he cuts him. Yeah. Because up until that point, it's the usual first or second round of Rocky fights where he's just getting his face punched in. Yeah. And, like, he just can't... I do like the way they put it in this, though, because in some of the other fights where he can't... Like, when he's fighting Apollo and fighting Clubber, sometimes you're wondering, like, why isn't he boxing? Like, he's got his arms down at his side. He's not even throwing punches. He's just getting punched in the face. I liked in this one they... He's making the effort to try to get in on him, but the Russian's just so much bigger than him that when he sticks him with his jab, he can't get in and, like, he's swinging and he's just not hitting him. Yeah. It looks like a little kid trying to punch you and, you know, you got your hand on their forehead and they just can't reach you no matter what. Right. And I
0: think the only thing that I could really call strategy in this fight, and this ties into the lack of a corner man in the first uh, clubber Lang fight in Rocky three here Duke has really is playing um or playing into or contributing to um a huge psychological game with Rocky here where they're almost uh mantra like chanting uh, no pain and really sort of psyching him up and getting him mentally to the place that he needs to get to to take the hits that he's gonna take um, Jeff Hewlett.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the the thing that kind of struck me as as odd is that, you know, Rocky trained and developed a different fighting style in in the third film. And you, you'd think that 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 quick fighting style would aid him in this fight, at least help him avoid some of Drago's blows and maybe get him in and out faster. But he doesn't seem to employ that strategy at all. It's just. You know, it's kind of like back to the old brawler days from, from one and two, you know, where he just kind of goes in and, and gets mangled up and just lands what he can land. And I don't think he really even lands much at all in the first round. In fact, he goes down once, right? In round one. Yeah, he, he lands a couple.
1: He gets him up against the ropes and he lands a couple body shots on Drago. Drago just pushes him away and he's just like laughing, <laughs> like putting yeah, in his stomach.
2: Like a taunt, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So and but the thing is that now Drago actually has a little bit of a different uh, methodology. He just comes out fighting immediately. like He doesn't wait for a command like he just goes right after Rocky. So his obviously his goal in this fight was slightly different as well.
0: Yeah. So are there any aspects of this fight that either one of you want to key in on? Well, first of all, I got
1: to say that I love Duke. The corner uh, the man who was Apollo's cornerman Yeah. He's awesome. I uh-huh. mean, he doesn't get a lot of screen time in any of the movies, but he's fantastic. He's money all the time. And he beats that Russian guy in chess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he throws – he also, if you notice, every time everybody charges into the ring, next time you watch the movie, just watch him. Every time he comes into the ring, he's always attacking somebody. He's throwing the Russian guys around. He's, like, gra- he throws a guy out of the ring. Mm-hmm. He's pushing a guy up against the ropes, like – Just next time you watch, keep an eye on him. There's like two or three times he does it. But like when he's, when Rocky gets in the punch and he cuts Drago, you see Drago back up and he like puts his hand up to his face, like shocked that he's cut. And then Rocky beats on him for like the next 30 seconds. The round ends, they go back to the corner. That's when he gives him the speech. You see, he's not a machine, he's a man. Mm -hmm. And like that turns the fight around because up until that point, even though it was basically a lucky punch that opened him up, yeah he seemed unstoppable but it changed both fighters at that point rocky at that point feels like i can beat this guy and i think drago at that point feels like i can get beaten like he hit me he hurt me yeah like i'm not invincible up to that point like i i doubt he'd ever been knocked down or even seriously challenged yeah this is the first guy that actually could take it to him
0: sure yeah and at at the same time you have Drago saying uh he's not human he's like a piece of iron too so there is sort of the mental the the start of the mental breakdown of drago in the sense that it doesn't matter how hard he can hit because it doesn't seem to be affecting rocky jeff hewlett
2: well there's one particular shot during the fight scene that i was going to call out um you know you guys Pretty much described it, it for the it, better than, than than I probably could, but there's one shot. There's a slow mo shot of Rocky taking a huge blow to the chops and like blood flying out. You know, you, do you guys recall that that particular shot during the fight?
1: Yes, there's there's is that the one. There's one like by itself, and then there's one where there's like a
2: montage of hits. Yeah, there's the one that that's by itself and. I I was watching this the other day prepping for this and I'm watching that shot and you see the, the fist co- the, the, the glove come in and punch him in the face. And it's, I, I'm thinking to myself, that must've been a, I, I couldn't think of how they could have shot that, you know, cause it, it looks so realistic. I mean, it looks like Sly's really getting belted in the face and it's, and it's, you know, slowed down. It was very impressive. Uh, choreography for this fight and, and, you know, maybe even more so than some of the previous fights, because you, know, you you're, they're trying to convey the fact that that Drago is kind of like, you know, he's throwing pistons at him and, and it's not like a, a normal impact from a regular punch, like from Apollo or even, even clubber for that matter. So, you know he's supposed to be hitting you know, three times harder than a normal fighter. And I think they sold that yeah. pretty well through that fight. and, you know, the the, the the weird thing to me, though, through this fight is that, you know, Drago, of course, learns that he is, you know, a, vulnerable in a way. But he seems to transform from the robot into, you know, an independent thinking guy. And especially right towards the end of the fight where the, the Russian premier comes up and, you know, admonishes him in the corner and, you know, Drago, you know, starts, you know, yelling and throws him into the audience, and starts yelling in Russian that he fights for him. Yeah. You know, he's declaring his independence. So it's like, I guess that's, you know, the American spirit of Rocky has, you know, transformed Drago and the crowd by that point. So they're all cheering for Rocky at that point. So um, it was a strange turnaround. I mean, you know, the movie is, I, I think it's great. And it, it's a it's a great way to end it and tie it up. But it kind of threw me for a loop a little bit.
0: Yeah. So getting back to the, the punches in this movie, back in 2007, when Stallone was doing that Q&A session with Ain't It Cool News, he talked about it. And he stated that the punching scenes filmed between him and Dolph Lundgren in the first portion of the fight are completely authentic. Stallone wanted to capture a realistic scene, and Lundgren agreed that they would exchange in legitimate sparring. One particularly forceful Lundgren punch to Stallone's chest slammed his heart against his breastbone, causing the heart to swell and his breathing to become labored. Stallone, suffering from labored breathing and bl- blood pressure over 200, was flown from the set in Canada to St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica and was forced into intensive care for eight days. Um, Stallone later commented that he believed Lundgren had the athletic ability and talent to fight in the professional heavyweight division of boxing. So. Um, Some of those punches look real because, according to Stallone, they are real. (laughs) Pretty cool. So this fight goes all 15 rounds and ends with Rocky winning by knockout. And at that point, the whole audience is behind Rocky after he gives a real impassioned speech saying that – if uh, if we can change, anybody can change, and Russia and the United States really aren't that different. And even the uh, Gorbachev um, impersonator yeah. <laughs> gets up and starts applauding. And if you watch Duke during this scene, he is really, really emotional. He's almost crying uh, buckets. Jeff Ferry, your thoughts on this final speech?
1: All right. Well, before I get to the speech, I'm just going to mention like two spots in the fight. Sure. Um, Two of my favorite hits are one where they, they start wrestling around because they do it a couple times where Drago grabs him by the neck, pins him to the ropes, stands up and just pounds him on the face. I'm like, I would love to see somebody do that in a real boxing match because <laughs> like, they're so boring compared to – like you watch a Rocky fight in a real boxing match. It is a real letdown. Especially with heavyweights. Yeah, especially with heavyweights because all they do is hug. Now, the other one is it's a very small moment. I don't think I noticed it until maybe today. They're, it's – middle of the rounds that maybe it's like towards the end. It's not the last round though. They're in their corners and they're getting worked on. And it, you see Rocky in his corner and his cup man's in front of him working. And Rocky kind of peeks around, around his, his cut man over what Drago's doing. And then you see Drago's corner and Drago's looking around his cup man to watch Rocky to see what he's doing in his corner. And I was like, that's such a small touch that like probably would never get noticed. But like, it made me like respect Stallone as like, director and writer that much more to even put that in there of like here's two guys that like even when they're getting worked on they're in between rounds they still got to see what is the other guy up to over there Yeah. what is my opponent doing while I'm not watching as for the uh, the finale it's um it's kind of similar to the clever land cake down punch 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 you're down you're done one knock it one knock down and you're out it's the same type of thing where you're like well how come Rocky gets knocked down 15 times and keeps getting up and this guy gets knocked down and he's done. I mean, you just have to accept that, that he's got super rocky punching power, I guess. He puts you down and it's over. Yeah. Um, as for the speech at the end, it's one of those things like that is the one thing in this movie for me that's like, that's very product of its time. I almost wish I don't even mind the speech that he gives it. I wish it was toned down a little bit and it'd be nice. Could have, you know, maybe mentioned Apollo, you know, the whole reason you were there. I mean, you didn't have to rip him about it. You could have been like, well, you know, I was here because my friend, you know, died in a a match. I'm glad that we had this match. You know, you don't have to have problems with somebody. We're just boxers. We don't represent the countries. Everybody have a nice day. Yeah. He just goes a little over the top. But I guess after getting punched a lot, I can take, you know, he's probably a little full of himself after that. Yeah. And he's still more coherent than any real boxer I've seen after a match, so. But I mean they definitely it's very very flag waving. Yeah. It would be like if this movie would have came out in two thousand three, it would have been the same type of thing. Like if you're in that era when it's very super Americaned up, you get that type of thing. But I know a lot of people are really bothered by that. It just it just washes over me at that point. Yeah. Um
0: Jeff Hewlett.
2: Well, there's I think there's really only one thing that bugs me about the fight as a whole, and uh, this is really a a nitpick, but if you if you think back to Rocky one and two, you know Rocky and Apollo go fifteen rounds. And it's pretty much a draw almost both times, right? I mean, Rocky wins by one second, right, in the second fight. But they go 15 rounds, so you're pretty much establishing the two of them as dead equals, right? They're both so good, and they can take so much punishment and dish so much punishment out that they pretty much cancel each other out. But in this movie, Apollo goes down in less than two rounds, but Rocky can survive a full 15 rounds, with Drago, it just seems really weird to me that they made the fight go 15 rounds. Yeah. Um, it, it Probably, in my eyes, the fight should have been shorter, maybe half the length, because it just seems so implausible to me that Apollo couldn't handle, you know, five or six rounds, but Rocky can go 15 when Rocky and Apollo are essentially equals. So I, I, that was really the one nitpick that I have about the fight, but it's still... Damn entertaining to watch, and it, it's 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 still great. The choreography is great, and the blood gets pumping every time you watch it. Uh, the end of the fight that the speech that Rocky gives kind of was a little bit off putting to me. Number one, what what Ferry said, he didn't thank Apollo or mention Apollo at all, and he seemed to digress almost back to his Rocky one and two intelligence level almost. He. Maybe, you know, you kind of liken it to the fact that he just went through a a traumatic fight and he's having trouble getting the words out. But, you know, it, it seemed like he was almost a different guy at the end of the fight. But then again, as you find out in the beginning of the next movie, he's fighting through some serious brain damage at that point. So maybe that came into play as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about Roger Ebert's feelings on Stallone movies. But while doing research for this episode, I found a Gene Siskel article from November 27th, 1985 about Rocky IV. And it seems like Siskel was a really big fan of the Rocky movies. And also seemed a little bit ahead of his time in really understanding how iconic these movies were going to be. He makes a reference to the fact that these are going to be movies that people remember for a very, very long time. And he points out something very interesting about um, Stallone's ability as an action writer. And he says, writer director Stallone accomplishes that by doing what so many action writers and directors have failed to do over the years. He creates credible villains worthy of his heroic character. Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry series has suffered because he hasn't had a villain as rotten as the serial killer in the original uh, Dirty Harry. And the James Bond series has been crippled in part because Roger Moore's adversaries have become more comical and threatening. But the character of Ivan Drago is a winner in Rocky IV. We believe that this Soviet champion is machine-tooled, steroid-injected fighting machine of major proportion. By comparison, consider the clownish aspect of the similarly huge Jaws character in the Roger Moore Bond films. Drago is ten times the man as Jaws and Rocky IV works because of that fact. Um, I So I thought that was really neat that um, Siskel and Ebert, who are both, uh, in my opinion, very credible um, movie critics, both really um, were able to look past the genre when talking about Stallone films. So I thought that was really neat. So I think unless there's anything else you guys wanted to hit on, that pretty much brings us to the end of Rocky four, Jeff Ferry, is there any closing words or thoughts you had on that, on Rocky four?
1: I was just checking. I really didn't have as many, uh, I didn't have as many notes for four, because as I've mentioned before, four is basically just, you know, the same movie. I, we even brought it up again about the points about like, wow, that was similar. That was similar. And it's not bad. Cause it's different enough where it's, I mean, there's a lot of different things. I'm just saying the outline is there of like this, this, and this happens, but He does it so – he's so good at doing it, and the ride is so much fun that you just love it all the way along. And for, like, the villains thing, that – I didn't – we didn't mention it, but that's an excellent point. Yeah. Like, Mr. T and Drago, for totally different reasons, totally credible villains. Yeah. The guy – even – not that Apollo was a villain, but he's credible in both those movies that, like, you understand why is this guy the villain of the piece and what is the – You know, what is his motivation? Why are they doing it? And like he mentioned James Bond, the last James Bond movie, super successful. Why? Because he had a villain. Yeah. That people like got behind. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, not to mention that movie that won't be mentioned. That's kind of where that movie falls down. The next one. (laughs) Not a credible villain. Yeah. Jeff Hewlett.
2: Well, this movie for me always moves really quickly when i watch it it doesn't even feel like it's 90 minutes it just it it flies by it 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 moves at a breakneck pace um you know despite i i kind of have to put myself in a different you know frame of mind or shift gears when i watch rocky 4 you know kind of like you said there's a rocky movie for every mood and for me this is you know the action movie of the rocky franchise so when i'm in the mood for that fast paced, hard hitting action from Rocky. This is the movie that I would put on and it's, it, it pays off in spades. Uh, It's a, it's a great ride. It's a lot of fun to watch. You know, the the two fights are, 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 you know, blood pumping affairs. And, you know, you've got your big hero moment at the end where Rocky has to triumph over, you know, the, the huge evil empire. And it's, it's, it's a great, great movie to watch. It's a heck of a lot of fun.
0: Right on. So um, that brings us to the end of this episode, and I knew we were going to have a, a really um, fun and interesting Rocky Four discussion, and um, I think we really um, exceeded my expectations. I hope you guys both enjoyed it as much as I did, mm-hmm. and I hope the listeners did as well. And um, again, you can interact with us over on uh, Facebook. We have the Facebook page, which is Facebook.com/slash. The Slycast and we're also the Slycast on Twitter. And, uh, you guys have been great with, uh, interacting with us. So if you haven't yet, uh, jump on in and, and, and say hi. And uh, we love, uh, we love, uh, sparring with you guys, uh, mm. playfully, of course, uh, but going back and forth. And, uh, you guys have really, uh, given us a lot of great insights and a lot of, uh, encouraging words. And, and it's really great to see that people are enjoying the show as much as we're. Uh, as much as we enjoy doing it, so with that um Jeff Hewlett, um we will talk next time.
2: yep, this is awesome i, I once again i I love the fact that we all have you know slightly different perspectives on all these movies, and it makes for a really great discussion you know if we, if we all agreed on every single aspect of every movie, i don't think it would be nearly as fun as it is
0: definitely, definitely and Jeff ferry, uh, I will talk to you soon. I will talk to you later, ding, ding. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of Slycast, the Sylvester Stallone fan podcast, the celebration and analysis of Sylvester Stallone's cinematic career. Thanks again for listening.